Good to see all of you as well as those joining via video, uh, television watching us, and those who watch us all over the world via the internet. <clears throat> this is uh, our time of Lent, the 40 days before Easter, where we focus on drawing closer to God and taking our faith seriously. It's a good time of reflection where we at in our faith. Uh, Great time for some Christian disciplines. Uh, a lot of people give up different things during Lent as a sign of devotion to God. It's not earning God's love. It's just a way of setting things aside to focus on uh, who Christ is and what he means in our lives. Now, when I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I was reading some of the strong things that Jesus said. And I said, you know, one of these sermons, I just want to let you hear some of the things Jesus said that were really strong. And I thought... What I would do is just go through and get a compilation of some of the tough things that Jesus said you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and put them all in one thing. But as I started working on it this week, I have to tell you, I was stunned at how much of what Jesus said is really intense and in your face. In fact, I didn't go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I only got as far as Matthew. And... Uh, you know, the truth is, a lot of us just don't read the Bible very often. And uh, certainly, as pastors, uh, we certainly should more. But I was stunned at how far we've gotten away from the real message of Jesus. And today, what I want to do, I just want to read to you. I'm going to start in Matthew, the fourth chapter, because the first three chapters are just about the birth of Christ and how he got to where he was. And when he starts preaching... And I want to read to you, and I'm going to go through the book of Matthew with you. I'm going to be reciting a bunch of verses. Now, we're not going to read the entire book, but a lot of what else is there is when it talks about him healing this person, doing that one, and some of the warm and fuzzy things that he said. But what I'm going to be reading to you is really the bulk of what he said. The m smallest part of what Jesus said was the warm and fuzzy stuff. Powerful stuff, and it's true. But it was the smallest part. The largest by and far was very, very strong. And uh, this is kind of a message I'm trying to bring to the church at large. Again, lots of people watch and listen to us all over the world. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about just celebration church. I'm talking to the church at large, people who believe in Jesus Christ. The title of my message is Tinkerbell Christianity. Why does the church seem to be so impotent today? As I look at what we evangelical Christians have accomplished over the last decades, I cannot help but be stunned at how far we have dumbed down the Christian message. For the last 50 years, we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on crusades, television and radio broadcasts, concerts and outreaches, trying to get as many people as we possibly can to believe in Jesus. We've told them that if they just acknowledge Jesus as their Savior, they will be saved. Really. We have convinced millions of people that all they needed to do was repeat this prayer after me and Christ would transform them from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of our glorious God. That it doesn't matter what you do, just believe that once they let those magic words ooze over their tongue, push past their teeth and bubble over their lips, that they would now become real Christians. How did we ever let this hollow expression of faith become the centerpiece of the Christian message. Because it is inconsistent 
with the teachings of the New Testament. Even a casual reading of the Gospels gives us a radically different picture of the true message of Christ. And I'm going to read to you now from the Gospel. Keep in mind that I'm not teaching on what he said. There's some really strong things that he said. Uh, but I just want to read it to you as, as is. I actually had some, somebody after the first service say, boy, are you really mad today? <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just reading you the message. Let's start. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets, they left everything and they followed him. You've heard it long ago that it was said, uh, you've heard that it was said long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a, an Ara Aramaic insult, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You have, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand him over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who would borrow from you. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you will not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, he says, where mouth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, life more than, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Every tree that does not bear down good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Kind of different than what we preach, isn't it? That kind of what we've told people, just say, Lord, Lord, ask Jesus in your heart. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then a teacher of the Lord, law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus warned him. He said, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came to him and said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. For whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn man against his father, daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Now remember, in between all this, we're seeing all these miracles. He begins to denounce them because they did not repent. Keep in mind, they undoubtedly believed. Kind of hard not to believe when you see miracles. Someone who had a broken leg is suddenly healed. Someone who had cancer is suddenly restored. Someone who was dead all of a sudden comes back to life. Hard not to believe. But it wasn't just a matter of believe as we think. He railed on them because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been formed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah, this wicked place that was destroyed by fire? He says, if the miracles that you've seen and see, they saw in Sodom, they would have, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of uh, evil stored in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Jesus told him, your mother and brother, or someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, they want to talk to you. Jesus replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He pointed to his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, will of the Father in heaven, is my brother and sister and mother. Not very nice, was that? We get this idea that Jesus was just so nice all the time. That wasn't very nice. Said a lot of things that weren't very nice at all. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it. Again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. 
You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. That's what gets them in trouble. Of course, the Pharisees didn't like that because they were very much into, you know, what you eat and we're going to eat the right stuff. Then the disciples came to him and said, did you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Then they came, uh, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And then Jesus turns and talks to his disciples. This is Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, these wonderful men who sacrificed all, totally committed to Jesus. Look what he says to them. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. <laughs> it's not very nice. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, tell it to the whole church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. In other words, kick them out. Wow, that's not very nice. What about forgiveness? Jesus tells a parable. He says, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. There we are with divorce again. Because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, better not to marry. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He thought, man, if you can't get your wife whenever you want to, why get married at all? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. Check this one out. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing but leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Now stop and think of this. I threw this one in, he doesn't, just to show you. He's walking along, he's hungry, he goes up to a tree, there's no fruit on it, he curses the tree and it dries up on the spot. Can you imagine the disciples? Man, don't get him mad today. <laughs> now seriously, is this the picture you ever hear of Jesus? I mean, all we ever seem to talk about is just the fact that he's warm and fuzzy and forgave people, and he did. But most of it, he was very strong with people. And you go to most churches, you see pictures of Jesus on the wall, looks like a lady with a beard. <laughs> and he's always holding children, right? All the pictures of Jesus holding children, holding children. If you come into a church for the first time, you've got to figure Jesus was a daycare worker. <laughs> you say, well, why did they crucify the daycare worker? Why did they do that? I kid you not, there's people here, it wouldn't surprise me that still don't. Why did they crucify Jesus? I don't know why. Why would they do that to such a nice man? Well, you look at this, you can see why they killed him. Especially the religious leaders, he was really mean to them. But they, he was, they weren't the only ones who tried to kill him. Other people at times tried to kill him, the Bible says. Why? Because he ticked them off. Talking about John the Baptist, he says, John came to show you the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after this, you saw this, you did not repent. Many are invited, but few are chosen, Jesus warns us. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Hence the crucifying. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape from being condemned to hell? <laughs> then Jesus talks to his disciples, gives them a little future casting. You like to cast a vision for people, you know? Let them know what we're going to be doing in the future, how great things are going to be. This is what he tells them. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Jesus said, when you really get this, the reality is people will hate you. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, Oh, my master's staying away a long time. Oh, Jesus hasn't come back. You know, it's going to be, he warned us about this thinking, see. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come at a day that he does not expect him. And at an hour he's not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For whoever has been given more, they will, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and didn't help you? He warns them on judgment day, this is what's going to happen. He's going to say, you didn't help me. People are going to say, what do you mean we didn't help you? What do you mean? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatsoever you did not do for one of these, least of these you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Then Jesus is arrested. He's crucified, dead, raises from the dead, reveals himself to his disciples. And before he goes into heaven, he says this, go and make disciples. That means disciplined followers, not just casual believers. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now from all of this, we've concluded that all people have to do is just believe. One cannot honestly read the words of Jesus and but come away with this overwhelming sense that unless you are willing to give up everything, every sin, and every body in your life, you cannot be his disciple. Yet somehow we have taken this glorious message of faith, repentance, and total commitment to God and boiled it down to one simple message to the world around us. Just, just believe. It reminds me of the story of Peter Pan. If you've ever seen a stage show of Peter Pan, you know there's a special scene where Tinkerbell is losing all of her power and is about to die. That's when an appeal is made to the audience to say, I believe! If you want to save Tinkerbell, you have to say, I believe. Pretty soon everyone in the audience is yelling, I believe, I believe, and little Tink is saved. The modern evangelical message. Just believe. Listen to me. Jesus is not some weak fairy that is in desperate need of others to believe in him or he will surely die. He is God. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. And on that judgment day, many will watch in horror as countless numbers of those who said, Lord, Lord, will be cast into hell for eternity. But pastor, the Bible says to believe will be saved. Indeed. But when the Bible says believe, it does not mean the mere acknowledgement of existence like in some Peter Pan play. When it says believe, it means to completely trust in and hear to and obey the teachings of Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. But pastor, millions have come to Christ through our simple message of belief. You mean the millions of people who've repeated the prayer? Who claim to be Christians? Who only go to church when it's convenient for them? By the way, most Christians don't go to church. I say the biggest bulk of every church doesn't have people that go to church all the time. You know what happens to us when everybody shows up on the same day? Accidentally? You can't get in. You can't find a parking place. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Only go to church when it's convenient. They never give up their time and service to the kingdom. They spend more at lunch than they give at the church. Who ignore their children, divorce their spouses, put everything in sin and everybody else in their lives ahead of Jesus. You mean those converts? In our efforts to have churches as large as possible, as quickly as possible, we filled our congregations with people who largely serve Jesus only as long as it is convenient for them. And let me challenge some of you people 
who watch us on television. We love that you watch. I appreciate it. I love it when you come up to me and say, oh, I watch you all the time on TV. It's great. And particularly, we love to do this for people who are shut-ins and can't get to church. But most of you watch this. You could easily go to church. You just choose not to. Listen, we love it that you listen. We appreciate it. I'm glad you can hear the words of God through us. But do not deceive yourselves. You think watching this face for 30 minutes a week is enough for you? You need to get off your butts and get into church. If you don't want to come to our church, go to some other church. But you need to get involved in the kingdom of God. You think because you listen to me, and well, I believe, I believe. You think that's going to cut it? If I have communicated that to you, I heartily apologize. But Christianity is not just simple little passing thing. Don't fool yourself. Is it any wonder why the church has become so increasingly impotent? Instead of experiencing the miracle working resurrection power of the living Christ that can transform lives by setting people free from the power of sin. We have churches where miracles are the exception, not the rule. Where bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness rule the day. Where we barely have the finances to keep churches operating. Where people who are struggling with emotions need to be medicated. And those suffering from addictions are placed into special programs in order to help them cope. And we're different from non-believers in what way? Pastor, you against programs like this? No, no, I'm... Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to help people. But you got to wonder, man, where's the power of God in this equation? Look, I understand forgiveness for those who fail. I dare, dare say a lot of us have, if not all of us, have failed in a lot of what we just read. I get it. We struggle. We all struggle. As my brother Ed was talking about. That's normal. But when you repent, you need to turn away from it. You need to ask God for forgiveness and change the way we do life. Forgiveness is not a green card to just do whatever you want and send your little brains out. But let's just be honest, shall we? Many Christians today do not really believe what Jesus said about a host of issues. Go through the list. There's a whole list of them. That he... Some of these issues, I dare say, most people who claim to be Christians that don't believe what Jesus said at all about a lot of these things. We even have evangelical pastors today. And here's the new thing. Give you a warning. Heads up on this one. And every so often, craziness runs amok in the Christian church. I was on a Wednesday night. Some of you that come to our Wednesday night Bible studies. <clears throat> you know, I, I warned you. I said, you know, it's, we're about due for some craziness. You know, every so often you hear something crazy. You know, either somebody's discovered the day Jesus is coming back or some new crazy doctor that's all crazy, you know. And I thought, man, it's been awfully quiet. We haven't heard any good insanity. It's got to be coming. Sure enough, now it's out. <laughs> I could sense it. Some pastor by the name of Rob Bell has a church of 10,000 people over in Michigan, and he's highly esteemed evangelical Christian, has just now revealed that there is no hell. There's no hell. The name of the book is Love Wins. There's no hell. God's not going to say anybody else. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Poor Jesus. Obviously, he wasn't as smart as Rob Bell. <laughs> but isn't that the next logical step after we've been saying all you need to do is just believe? Listen, until we're ready to embrace the words of Jesus, 
until we preach the message of turning away from sin, until we begin to emphasize the Christian disciplines of prayer, fasting, scripture reading, financial giving, until we teach people that God is not breathlessly waiting to give you anything your little selfish heart wants if you just have enough faith, and instead teach them that he actually wants them to die to themselves, don't expect to see the real power of God at work anytime soon. The truth is, during this time of Lent, and I speak to the church at large, man, we just need to repent. We need to give ourselves once again to the scriptures, rediscover the true gospel message. We need to teach that putting Christ first is not an option. It's a prerequisite to truly experiencing the living Savior. Or we can remain impotent and just keep encouraging Tinkerbell conversions where people simply cry out, I believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your eternal love towards us. We are amazed when we think of the kindness that you showed in sacrificing Jesus on that cross for the sins of the world. We understand forgiveness. We understand mercy and grace. We understand the struggle of following Christ. It's not an easy thing. But Father, forgive us. Forgive me and so many other pastors who have given this picture. It doesn't really matter what you do. Just acknowledge how we live our lives. We have encouraged such bad living among the Christian community. Help us, oh Lord, to take our faith seriously. Help us to take you seriously so that we can really start experiencing the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us to be willing to lose our lives so that we can find them. Help us to actually put the kingdom of God first over ourselves. Help us not to be consumed with just working, working and getting and getting and doing everything we want for ourselves whenever we want as fast as we can for ourselves. Help us to take this seriously. May the words of Jesus that we have read today pierce our hearts and result in true repentance so that we will turn to you and serve you with sincerity of heart, celebrating the cross of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. I invite the ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning. Our worship team is back on stage, and as we just prepare for communion, in a few moments, we'll be passing the, the, the plate and the tray and giving you an opportunity to hold on to, take hold of a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and a cup of wine or grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus. Very important part of our service. A time this morning that we take the, the, the opportunity to examine our lives. You know, in God's Word, when it talks about having communion, when it talks about breaking bread, it talks about the fact that we need to take time to examine, examine our hearts. Self-examination. God, what in my life, what is there in my life that needs to change? From the words the pastor Mark has spoken to us, allowing the Holy Spirit this morning to touch your heart and your life.
making room for God to effect and touch you today. Examining our lives. I I, I don't know about you, but examination is sometimes a, a difficult thing. We go to a doctor and we get an examination. How many of you know that sometimes that's uncomfortable? I know when I was in school and having to write an exam, prepare for exam, kind of uncomfortable at times. And yet examinations are important, important. Important time for you this morning to examine your heart and your life. In light of the cross, what Jesus did when he suffered and died on that cross, a time to reflect, reflect on the cross. Jesus, you came, you lived life, you suffered, you died, you rose again for me. And what, how am I living? Am I living righteously? Am I doing the right thing? Where am I in my walk with you? So we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to just simply do that. Reflect on the cross of Jesus. Examine your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to touch an area in your life that he needs to touch. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this opportunity right at this very moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. In a few moments, Lord, we will be partaking of a piece of bread that represents your body that was broken for us. That cup that represents your blood that was shed for us. And God, we want to embrace it. We want to take hold of that. But we want to examine ourselves and allow you, Holy Spirit, to put your finger on areas in our lives that that is more than just believing in who you are, but allowing you and the truth of your word to change us. That a repentance would happen, Lord. And a purpose, Lord, that not only would we repent and choose to change, but that you, Lord, would come and give us the strength to be able to do so. That our walk may be a righteous walk before you. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray your blessing over this time of communion in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.